Anybody know what we're here for? Huh? The worship God? Yeah. You know, I'm just trying to figure it out. I figured Sunday, let's get together, hang out, you know, have a good time. You know, today started off kind of wild. You know, this morning, I was just kind of, I mean, I need to repent, really, just to be honest with you. I mean, I was just moody. Anybody ever get moody? So I was moody, and I was just, I was, gr- I was grumbling to Jeremy this morning, standing over there, you know, or sitting over there, and I was just, you know, but I, I mean, I woke up that way, just moody, right? And then I started worshiping God, and the, the wires up here started going crazy, and oh, man, I was already moody. So if any of you saw me turn around like that, you know, please forgive me, you know. But anyway, I have come to myself. I have realized that Jesus is more than a wire. Amen? I've, I've realized that he's more than a, 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 a complaining, moody attitude. And it's probably because, like last, last series we did, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about, you know, just giving. Generosity. And, you know, when you get generous, you know, uh, it doesn't really make the devil happy because we're being generous because we love God to love people. Now, what I want to do this morning is first I want to welcome everybody here, everybody watching online, and just uh, thank you for coming out and worshiping and hanging out with us. Um, The next question I want to ask, and I want you to raise your hands. Okay? It's not a vote. Has anybody ever re-gifted a present? Oh, come on, be honest, y'all a bunch of liars in here. You know what I'm saying? All right, put them down, put them down, put them down. The ones that didn't raise your hand, we know you're lying. Anyway, it's a simple question, and everyone's like, oh, man, you know, and, and I can't say that. But, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it happens. But our modern concept of re-gifting is, is kind of like we open up the present, we look at it, we go, oh, wow, this is so good. And inside we're saying, I wish we had the money, you know. <laughs> I wish I had something a little different, you know. And there's many reasons for that. You know, it could be you don't like the gift. But it could be you've already got one. It could be you hate red. So they got you bright red. You know, I mean, multiple reasons. You know, why people re-gift and and things like that. But, you know, re-gifting, it's really become real popular over the years. You know, and next thing you know, you know, you knew you gave your buddy something. And a couple buddies down the road, you see they've got the same thing. Wait a minute. And your buddy doesn't have it anymore. Well, what do they do? They re-gifted it. It's okay. It's, it's a fine thing to do. It's all right. But check this out. You know, thinking about gifts and thinking about the, the season that we're in, we have Christmas season. And in Christmas season, there's some really cool stuff out. And I looked this up. One of the, out of the top 500 gifts to give children and uh, preteens uh, this year, or, or teens this year, actually, is it's called... Uh, this year it's Lego uh, Boost Creative Toolbox 17101 Building and Coding Kit with 847 pieces. They build robots and all kinds of cool stuff. Cost about 160 bucks, right? 
I mean, it's a pretty cool gift. I mean, there's this children's gift that it's like an egg, right? And you never know when it's going to hatch, right? It could be anywhere. You could be just going down the road, whoops, it hatches. There, whoop, there it is, right? Thank you, son. And so, you know, and that cost, I, I think if I remember right, that was like 250 300 bucks. I mean, it, I mean, it was expensive, right? Gifts. Now, if you, you're looking at millennials this year, Millennials might want an Apple Watch or an iPod or an Amazon Echo or something like that. Well, let me tell you, your pastor might want that too. Just saying. See, I haven't been able to wear this shirt for the past three, two, three years. And I'm very happy that I can wear it today. So, so in other words, I love all the... Thank you. I love all the pastries and the food stuff that I get, but remember, I'm not going to be eating them. You are tempting me. You're acting like the devil. I'm just messing with you. If you do it, I'll tell you what. Leah will have it. The kids will have it. It's all good. Anyway, but our modern concept is, is incorrect because actually regifting is a very old concept. It comes from Jesus. If we take a look in the, in the New Testament, Jesus talked about the concept of regifting. In Matthew chapter 10, in verse number 8, it says, You have received much, now give much. Hmm. They have received much, now give much. So what happened was Jesus was sending out about 72 people to go out and minister, to be missionaries. And what he did is he gave them gifts. And the different gifts that he gave them, you know, some of these guys, they went out, they laid hands on people, and they healed people. Well, that wasn't, their, that wasn't from them. That was a gift given from God. So the gifts that Jesus has said that he's given us, he wants us to go out and re-gift our gifts. Amen? So re-gifting is not a bad thing. It's not a, a, a horrible thing. The thing of re-gifting is you have to understand what re-gifting is. There's different reasons why people do it. Sometimes people don't have money to, to give a gift, so what they do is, they wrap up a nice present, and they give it to somebody. It might have been given to them, but they just didn't have it. I mean, so, so we need to get this, this bad thinking out of our mind and realize regifting is not a bad thing. <clears throat> now, the thing I want to talk about today is regifting a gift called hope. Everybody say hope. Now, that's, that's a great gift right there. Actually, hope. When I take a look at hope, hope is something that we can't live without. As a matter of fact, the, Hal Lindsey said, and he, he's an author, he's a TV guy, he's a Bible prophecy uh, guy, and he said this at one time. He said, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. Hope is one of the greatest gifts you could ever have. Without hope, we won't have the strength to keep going. No matter what situation you're in, no matter what's going on in your life, you can be in a place and you can be confined inside of yourself and, and, you, and you just have no hope. And, and nobody, you know, a lot of times nobody knows that you feel hopeless because we have this mask that we give to people and we want people to see. But, but on the inside, we're just being terrorized because we have no hope. <clears throat> Years ago, and uh, it was 1999. Actually, I should probably start 1994. Um, in 1994, I 
turn my life to give it to the ministry, to God, to everything, and um, but but to the ministry specifically in 1994. I said, God, you know, I had this vision, I had this passion to do great things for God, and so I got up to Crestline, California, and I ran into this uh, Assembly of God pastor, Jim Risley, at Mountain Christian Life, and I'm. I call him on the phone, I get a hold of him, I talk to him. We, well, I'm just so excited. I'm telling him about what God's calling me to do and all these great and mighty and these wonderful things. And Man, I'm excited. I'm in my 20s, late 20s, but I'm still in my 20s. But anyway, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for the keys to the kingdom. He gives me a hammer and a broom. I'm ready to go preach, you know, to the masses, and, and he wants me to clean the parking lot and fix some things around the church, right? Let me tell you, that, that can destroy some hope. You know, that can get to you. So anyway, I go along, I become a youth pastor, and I do certain things, and um, I end up getting this really, really awesome job with the railroad, making probably the best money I've ever made in my life. And, you know, just things were going good, life was great, and then, you know, God put it on my heart again. I want you to go full time into the ministry. And I just really didn't feel like I had the tools. And, you know, from 94 to 99, I just didn't really see things happening the way I thought they should happen. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. Everybody's got, we all have our own story, but I can only tell you mine. And so in 99, I read this book. And the book was an awesome book. It's, 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 titled, What to Do When Faith Seems Weak and Victory Lost. And it was by the late Kenneth E. Hagin. I didn't know who Kenneth E. Hagin was at the time. I didn't really pay attention to him or anything like that. Um, he wasn't big in California. But then again, I didn't really go to church a whole lot either. I didn't grow up in church or anything like that. And so um, I read this book, and then I got refired. I got a passion again. And I read and I saw this guy had a Bible college, and I was, I was excited. And I, I looked up the Bible college online, and there was a whole lot of haters, but there were some people that were, were, it was really, really good. But I'm that type of person. I don't care what the Internet says or what anybody else says. I need to go check it out myself. So I did. It was in um, end of April, beginning of May of 1999. Lee and I, we, we flew out there. Before we flew out there, Leah goes, we're not going there. I mean, you got to figure, we lived in Southern California. I was raised on the beach. I surfed in front of my house. We also then, the last five years, lived up in the mountains where we had a lake view. And I mean, so we always lived, and I didn't have anybody give me stuff to get there. It's just, we, we've just had stuff. So now we're going to leave everything. And go follow this call of God, right? All three of my children have been born. So, you know, we got this going on, and, and so then we fly out there, we get there, and man, we had a great time. It was, it was amazing. It was just really was. At the end of the day, I'm thinking, I don't need to be here. I, I can get this in Southern California. Well, then all of a sudden, Leah turns around. Oh, no, we got to go. You know, I'm like, Okay, I guess we're going, <laughs> you know. So we fly, well, before we fly back, actually what happened, it was uh, May 3rd and 4th were, uh, it was at that time, 
one of the, it was it was considered the largest tornado to hit Oklahoma City. Uh, it was it was huge, and uh, they weren't letting any aircraft leave. And so, we I called the uh, the airlines. I said, listen, I said I'm a railroad engineer. I said, if you have a pilot that needs to move planes, I said, do you guys try to work things out with other places to, to get them to move planes? They said, we do. I said, well, I need to move some trains. Can I have some professional courtesy? He said, yes. So she got us on a plane. Um, it was a mud hopper. I mean, just two little props and just a few people on there, but they still had a stewardess with a cart. And she's walking the cart down. And I mean, the... You know, it's kind of like, the weather started getting rough. You know, I mean, we dropped just a straight, and I don't know how far, but it was like being on, uh, have you ever been on those rocket machines where they just drop you down? That's what it felt like. Well, this lady, she cussed. She, and I'll tell you, when a stewardess cussed, you know something's up. She ran to her seat. She buckled herself in. She's just... You know, it's kind of like, there's the stuff, fend for yourselves, guys. <laughs> you all on your own. So anyway, I, uh, I was just reading the Word and all this stuff, and I'm thinking, okay, well, now Leah's going to make up her mind. She's not going to want to go, but she still wanted to go. So what I had to do is I, in my heart, I thought I can change her mind, so I gave her about a month's notice. And, and the way I did that was, or, you know, a month's time, because I gave my job a month's notice. I told the railroad, you know, I said, in, in a month, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. And, you know, they didn't believe me or anything like that. But I was just, you know, I was just really trying to prepare myself. And then what happened is we went ahead, we went to Raymond, we just had, we had a great time. And, and God just really started doing some great exploits and things like that. But, you know, it kind of reminds me of marriage and making decisions. In a decision of marriage, you don't know all the hardships and all the ups and all the downs and all the stuff that you're going to go through because if you did, you wouldn't marry that person. That's the truth. All you see is, I'm going to get married. We're going to have a yellow house with a white picket fence, a dog named Spot, and two cars in the garage. Amen. They didn't tell you you're going to be dead up to your eyeballs. you got to repaint the house every so many years. Do the roof. You know, your body starts. None of that. You know what I'm saying? And besides, you find out you don't even like each other. You know, have you ever, oh, man, you know, I, they got the perfect one. Oh, really? Go to their house. Talk with them personally. You'll see that what's going on here, it's all a facade. You know, they've just learned how to get along around people for the most part. I mean, it's sad, but it's, but it's true. But the, once you start really, though, finding out who God is, things start changing. Once God becomes number one, Jesus becomes number one in your life, then all of a sudden, things change. So the point in this little illustration was, if I would have saw the path it would have taken me to get to where I'm at today, I would have stayed at the railroad. I wouldn't have gone on. 
You know, there's challenges when you go make a decision, when you go to, when you go to do things, and, and there's things that challenge your hope, there's things that challenge your expectation, and so what I want to give you four things here that, that will cause you to lose your hope, that causes most people to lose their hope. The first one is circumstances. Everyone has a circumstance that they go through. You know, there's many things that stopped me from, could have stopped me, because number one, I had three kids. Leah was not working. She did not have to work. I made enough money to pay for everything, and, and that's how we lived. And then me quitting a job and going out to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to Bible college where we knew nobody, had no family, had nothing, that was crazy. Number two, I was making the most money. I mean, in my thing, not voices, put take voices off, please is why I couldn't go is the second reason why is because I was making so much money, the money looked good, I could pay a minister's salary and still live good. I'm talking about things that will stop you, circumstances. The third thing is we had a car payment that was, I don't know, five fifty, six hundred bucks, something like that, you know, and I mean, so I had obligations. I had bills I still had to pay when I made this decision to do this. And like I said, we had no family out there, so without any family out there, holidays stink. You get Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff like that. We've been away from our family since uh, August 26, 1999. We've not had a Christmas with our family. I mean, I'm telling you. The stuff that you struggle with before you go to make the decision. Besides us, we had no uh, physical uh, help from anybody, no uh, financial help, no moral support, nothing. Matter of fact, our family thought we were totally nuts. There were no student loans, so I had to come up with the money, or at least have a plan to come up with the money to pay for college. And oh yeah, the tornadoes. You realize between those two days there was 154 tornadoes. You go look it up on Wikipedia. We had 317 or 319 tornadoes that year we were there. Matter of fact, we were in a minivan our first weekend, and I've never seen trees go almost at a 90 before. And I just, I mean, I swear, I don't know if it really happened, but I, but I felt it did. I felt that the car was going, I was like, oh, my goodness, what did we get ourselves into? But I had all these things before I made the decision, these circumstances going on in my mind that could have stopped me from the hope that I had to move on. Now the next thing, number two, voices. You know, there are voices out there that are going to try to rob you of your hope. They're going to try to stop you from doing the things. I had people tell me I was an idiot. I wasn't listening to God. Now I'm talking about family members. These aren't even the friends and the other people that were on the outside. I was stupid. I'd never make it. And all kinds of things. Okay? Then you had the guys at the railroad. They said no one quits this job. It's true, but I did. And I told him I quit the other one before I came here. 
And so my destiny is in my hands because God has given me the choice to make a decision, and, and my decision is to follow him. So the next thing is fatigue. After voices, you have fatigue. I'll tell you, fatigue will wear you out. Don't get enough sleep. Trust me, I know I, I don't get enough sleep now. I have people all the time getting mad at me for not getting enough sleep. I think I went to bed at 5 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, took the Greenville High School Band out to the state championships that Friday night, um, got back at 1 in the morning. I was so wired I couldn't go to sleep. Started writing a message at 9.37 in the morning, so I only had that much sleep. Didn't get done until 8 o'clock last night. Now, that's now. Now, back then, since I was making such good money, I thought, well, I can work enough every day to where I can, I can pay the college that first year. So I can do it. I could pay a year's worth of college working for the railroad for a month. See, all I had to do was talk to the dispatcher and tell the dispatcher, hey, because I was on an extra board, call me out for a shag job. What's well, a shag job? Every time I touched a train, I would get $350 if I just walked up on it. I didn't have to do anything with it. If they called me to that train, to that job, if I logged on on the computer, actually at that point I'm on it. But once I walked on, when they, if they called me off, I got $350. A shag job meant I was going to at least touch 10 trains that night. So I could make $3,500 a day. So I worked every day. To try to get that money because I'm thinking, I've got to do this. I've got to. Do you realize when you go do that, not only do you physically start getting worn out, it starts beating you up and things like that. You're mentally stressing out and stuff like that. But do you realize that everything breaks in your house and you have to spend every dime you have? Because God is not going to allow you to have any glory for what he wants to do. Fatigue. It'll, it'll stop you from your hope because tell, I'll tell you when the bank accounts are going, I was going, oh, Lord, I was getting back to my Catholic days. You know, I was, how are we going to do this? Well, that wasn't my problem, how we were going to do it. My problem was I just needed to do it. I needed to do what God said. Amen? All right. So then the next thing that happens from that is doubt. Let me tell you, when you have bad circumstances, when you have all kinds of negative voices, when you're tired as all get out, mentally, physically, emotionally, you doubt everything. I started doubting my call even. Oh, no, I'm not called to do this. God doesn't want me to get beat up like this. You know, God, you know I mean, you, you start doubting. And then you hear stories about, about people who don't make it. We only want to hear the ones that do. See, this part of the story that I'm telling you, I've never told you before. I only told you about the success about making it. But I'm trying to show you that there was a path that I had to take to get where I'm at today. People say, man, you know, I, I want to be able to do this. I want, to be like, I want to be like Mike. Well, you know what? You have to put in the same time Mike did doing what Mike did in order to be like Mike. That's the truth. 
But we all want the shortcut. We all want to go to Burger King. We want to have it our way. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special order, don't upset us. I mean, that's what we want. Right? All right. Well, I've learned some things about hope and about this story that I gave you and about regifting. And one of the things I learned in your notes, number one, is make sure you're connected to the Word. I really couldn't have done any of this without being connected to the Word of God. In everything that I do, whether sometimes I work for the school district, sometimes I work for the sheriff's department, and I'm a pastor 24-7, in whatever I do, I'm always representing God. And the reason why is because I'm in love with the Word. It's the Word of God that changed me. It was the Word of God that, that, that caused me to do these things. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite scriptures, Jeremiah 29.11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for well-being, not for trouble, to give you a future and a hope. And you know what? No matter what's going on, God wants to give you good. He wants to have a good plan for you. He wants to give you a future. He wants to give you a hope. I mean, he's trying to pour on the inside of you no matter what's going on. It sounds great to read, but sometimes we're just not sure it's for us. We get this roadblock somehow. Our circumstances get in the way, or sometimes we don't, we don't sense God, or we don't feel God around, or, you know, and, and we start crying out. And we start crying out in our own strength, and, and, and then we feel that we're alone. Matter of fact, that reminds me of a time, and I think I told this story also, but I was surfing in Southern California. It was uh, 1978, 79. I think it was 78 because Jaws 2 just came out. And, uh, oh, yeah, and I, was, I was 11. And I was out there. The, the, I mean, it was bad weather. Nobody was on the beach. I went out to go surf by myself. Uh, There was supposed to be 125 or so hammerhead sharks in the jetty that I was surfing next to. And um, there's a lot of warm water because of uh, a nuclear power plant that they have over there between Seal Beach and Long Beach uh, Naval Weapons Station. And so I'm out there, and I catch a couple waves, whatever. Well, I I kick back up, and the current was pretty bad, and it started dragging me. Flip around, I'm in the water. I'm getting sucked into that jetty. My mind is going, dunna, dunna, dunna. I'm scared, scared, right? I'm swimming up to my board, get back up on my board, and I'm trying to paddle out, and, and it's just pulling me and pulling me. And, ah! I mean, I'm freaking out. I get to the point where I'm so exhausted, fatigued, like I was telling you about. I cry out to God because I felt I was alone. And I said these words. God, if you get at me out of here, I'll go to church every day. Wouldn't you know he made me a pastor? But, you know, the thing of it is, is this, is, is sometimes we feel alone, we, we cry out to God, and, and I'll tell you, the, the greatest thing uh, next to Jesus in my life is the person he sent me is my wife, Leah. In all the years that we've been together, she's never really questioned me, she's, she's believed in me, she's followed me wherever I've gone, and I believe that God puts people into our lives to encourage us and to give, gift hope and and the times that I was really down and, and the times that I've had some really rough times in my life, 
she was always there to encourage me and to give me the hope that I've needed. And I believe that God does that with people in our lives. I mean, sure, I've had other friends come in and out of my lives, my life to do that. But, but to be consistent, to be the person that's been there the most has, has been my wife. The Bible says this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is the tree of life. You know, when something doesn't happen, it makes us ill. Something that we want to happen, things could happen. Like say this, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're supposed to get a Christmas bonus. And last year, the Christmas bonus you got, it was $1,000. And you're going, woohoo! <laughs> but this year, the boss says we have no money. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. And you're thinking that, man, there's no Christmas. Or maybe you went to the doctor. And you were hoping for that good report, and he gave you a report that just, just plummeted to the ground. So sometimes we become disappointed, discouraged, depressed. And I'll tell you, the reason why we're that way is because we're not connected to the word. We're connected to the wrong thing. We're connected to the world and not the word. If we'd get the L out of the world, we'd have the word. And that's what we need to have is we need to have the word. The psalmist said this. He said in Psalms 42.11, he said, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? So this person who wrote this was crying out to God, and, and they didn't know why they were discouraged. They didn't know why they were so sad. They were just, but this, uh, during this time, it, he made a conscious decision. He said this, I will put my hope in God. I will please him again, my Savior, my God. So if you're discouraged, if you're depressed, if things are going on in your life, put your hope back in him. Reconnect back to the word. Reconnect back to him. And what he'll do is he'll come in and he will fill you with his joy, his goodness, his gladness. The Bible also says this in Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 in the New Living Translation. It says, we who have fled to him, that's talking about Jesus, for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. The hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. What that's just saying right there, it's saying that if we trust in Jesus, it does, it's not saying the storms won't come. It says we'll be anchored and we'll stand when all the tri trials and tribulations and when everything bad comes against us, we'll be able to stand with, within all of that. And, and you know, you, you might have a little mix and stuff like that, but you're going to remain. You're going to come out on the other side. You're going to have success and great success. That's what that scripture is saying. Now, the second key, the second thing that I've learned, and this is the one we'll close out on, is this one. Speak hope to the people around you or around us. That's what we have to do is we have to speak hope. So I was watching a video yesterday on Facebook about bus drivers. And this person was kind of interviewing the bus drivers and listening to them. And you, you find out that school bus drivers, they're underpaid. They don't have, like, regular hours. They work a couple hours here, then they have to be off a few hours, then they have to work another couple hours. So, you're, so you don't really have a good day. None of them are really full-time because they only really work anywhere between four and five hours in a day. 
So, so they don't get insurance. I mean, all these different things. And then you, they have to be trusted with 50 to 70 kids on a school bus by themselves without a teacher's aid, driving this metal machine down the road as these kids are doing whatever they want to do. And when they were interviewing these people, all these people wanted was this. Just somebody to tell them they were doing a good job or thank you. Kind words. I mean, that so touched me. I, 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 the, the Bible says this in Proverbs 18.21. It says the tongue can bring death or life. So your words can either gift hope into somebody's life or can give, give death into somebody's life. The choice is up to us because death and life is in the power of the tongue. At Thrive Church, our decision today is to, to speak hope into everybody's life who comes into this church, everybody's life that we come into contact with, speak hope into their lives. If we speak hope into people's lives, what happens is we kill the atmosphere of negativity with hope. Murmuring and complaining and all these things that we all do. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, it says, let everything you say be good and helpful. Let what? Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. It doesn't say, find the person that you can gossip and complain and murmur to. It says, let every word come out of your mouth be good and helpful so the person around you, you're not infecting their heart with negativity. You're not sowing bad seeds into them. You know, because what happens is hurt people hurt people or a bad apple will destroy or ruin a whole bunch. So everything that we say has to be positive, has to be words of hope. And this is my last scripture right here. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Let me say this. Always give an answer. Always. For what? 